In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Men in the Army, we salute you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast, Equipping Men in 10. Today might be about 20. My name is Jim Ramos. I am your host of today's show and the number one podcast for Christian men on Spotify. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Again, you may be listening to this through your uh, podcast app. This is also being recorded and is also on YouTube. So if you want to see an ugly dude on YouTube... It's like anti-porn. I'm like your anti-porn guy. It's like the, you know, the guy you go to if you don't, you know, you're trying to get healing from that. Anyway, hey guys, uh, we want to talk about a prayer. Uh, continue our effective prayer of a righteous man series. This is the final of five installments. So I really want to encourage you to go back. My goal through this series is to help you hear. Uh, God's voice and also give you a method, an easy practical method to pray on a regular basis. And this method I'm teaching you today is the has been my go-to method for the last 35 years. This is the the way I pray more than any other prayer I've ever prayed. You know, I've prayed my vision statement. Uh, I pray Psalm 46:10, but the, but praying this prayer out of Matthew 6 has been my go-to and my mainstay for years. Now, what I want today's topic is the Lord's and disciples' prayer. So we call this the Lord's Prayer, but he really taught the disciples how to pray it. So technically, it's the disciples' prayer taught by the Lord. But just for the sake of simplicity, we'll call it the Lord's and disciples' prayer. And this is based out of, remember, our series is based out of James 5.16. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, remember last week we laid four we laid out four pro tips of Jesus when we pray. So today, we're going to lead up to the actual prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Now, I want to tell you, this is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And man, I grew up reciting this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I said it in this voice too. Uh, you know, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin. Or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the power and the glory. Uh, uh, and the, yours is the, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this prayer, the mistake that believers make with this prayer is they pray it as a standalone prayer. It is not a standalone prayer. It was never intended to be a standalone prayer. This is a, a recipe. It is an outline to pray uh, when you pray. So I'm going to lay out. Uh, I've studied the Lord's Prayer for years and years and years. I've written articles on the Lord's Prayer. I've read numerous, numerous commentaries on the Lord's Prayer. And so this is what I've determined is the best way to pray the Lord's Prayer. It may be different for you than me, and maybe you've studied and learned some other things that I don't know, uh, or maybe you disagree on a couple little small minor issues. There are a couple areas where you can wiggle 
in here a little bit. But generally speaking, this is how I do it, and I think most people do. So I start off my prayer time. Again, this is an hour-long, easy, an hour-long prayer. I break it down in outline. outline. I carry my notepad. I'm ready to write when God speaks. I always start off my prayer with our Father in Heaven. I take time. First thing I do is I acknowledge that I have a Father in Heaven. He is the God of my affirmation. He is the God of my validation. You know, as men, we're so into being affirmed. My love language is words of affirmation. I love being affirmed, but I have to release that in my life, and, and I've done that through prayer, and I've said, God, you are the one who affirms me. You are the one who validates me, only you. I'm not going to seek the affirmation and validation of man. I'm only going to seek yours because you are my father. You are a good, good father. Now, I've got a great earthly dad, but he's not perfect, and he's made mistakes. He's a great dad, but my father in heaven is not only great, but he's perfect, and he made me. He created me. The Bible says that uh, he thinks me more than the grains of the sand of the seashore. The Bible says that every day outlined before me was written in his book before one of them came to pass. The Bible says that even he actually puts every tear I've ever cried into a bottle. He is a good, good father. And so I take the time to pray this. You know, the Bible in, in Romans chapter 8, it says, you know, the spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father. And a lot of guys will try to sound spiritual by praying, Oh, Papa God, Oh, Daddy God. And I'll be honest with you. This word is a word that describes the richest and most intimate relationships of all. To me, Papa God or Daddy God, it doesn't cut it. I just have to say Father. I mean, Father to me is what I pray. I just, Father, man, that means so much to me in a world with broken fathers, in a world with uh, fathers who are absent, who have wounded their children. It's so important for me to realize that this is the God, this is the Father who says in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden is easy, my yoke is light. You know, and I, kept, I referred to the uh, tears in a bottle. You know, that's Psalm 56, 8, if you guys want proof there. So I take time every morning, and I just enter my prayer time, and I just acknowledge God as my Father, and, and He's a good Father, and He's a trustworthy Father, and He's a Father that has the best intentions for His children. Then I move on to the next outline of this prayer, which is, Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. You know, I take time, which was similar to Psalm 4610, and I praise God for who He is. He is separate, hallowed. Holy means to be separate from, set apart from. He's set apart from all other gods. He's imminent, which means He lives within us, but we cannot forget He's transcendent. He's above us. So I take time and I acknowledge God's transcendence, that God is above me, that He has character and characteristics and, and His nature warrant and demand my praise. In fact, Jesus said, even the rocks cry out in praise. And so I, I, I take this time and I acknowledge God for who He is. You know, we need to slow down. We need to slow down and just think of all of the wonderful things that make God different from every other created thing because He is the only uncreated thing. He's the only creator of the universe. You know, in Revelations 4, maybe we need to look at Revelations 4, where it says, after I looked, there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and a voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet. It said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was caught in the Spirit, and before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. 
And the one who sat on it had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembled an emerald encircling the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the thrones came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. They, they were seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. He can't even describe it. He's just saying that it was like this, it was like that. He can't even figure it out because it's so blown his mind. There are things he'd never seen before, so all he can use is simile to describe it. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was like the face of a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, covered with eyes all around, and under their wings, they day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sat on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne. They say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then, now I'm in chapter 5. I'm going to keep going here, guys. I'm on fire. Then I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne and the scroll with writing on both sides sealed the seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and I wept because no one found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll in its seven scrolls. Then I saw the lamb looking as if he'd been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, and there are seven spirits of God. That's all fancy stuff that we'll explain later some other time. He had seven horns, seven eyes, seven spirits of God that set out to all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God, and they reign on earth. And I looked before of many voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, the living creatures, and the elders, and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing, to him who sits on the throne and the Lamb, and praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down in worship. Wow. That is the God that I pray to when I pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then I move down to the next section of prayer. This is actually a Hebrew form of parallelism. It's where you take one line and then the next line explains it. So this, this next section is your kingdom come, and it's explained with your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God's kingdom come is when his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So this word kingdom, the kingdom of God, essentially is the rule and reign of God. So when I pray this prayer, I'm praying that God's rule and reign would take over my life. I, it's a prayer where I say, God, I surrender to you today. 
Fill me with your Holy Spirit today. I surrender. I commit my family. I pray for my family. I pray for friends. I pray for loved ones. It's when I pray Galatians 2.20 over my life. I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. This life I live in the flesh, I live for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer to ask God's will to take over my will. Psalm 107.9 says, For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hunger with good, the hungry with good things. This is my Ask God to just get rid of everything I pursue. I only pursue Him. So the next part of this prayer is a very controversial part. It's a part that theologians argued with for many, many years until uh, fairly recently when a, a, an old piece of papyrus was discovered. And this is, give us our day, our daily bread. And as they looked at this word, they noticed it was a, it was a list. And as they unpacked the list, they realized it was someone's daily shopping list. So when Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, what he's literally saying is pray this prayer and just ask God to help you today, to give you the things you need today to survive. You know, uh, Frank Gablin in his commentary says, God tells us it is a prayer for our needs, not our greeds. So when I pray that God would give me this day my daily bread, I'm praying oftentimes for energy, for patience, for self-control, for courage. Very, very rarely do I pray for anything material. I'm praying for the things to get me through the day. You know, and James 4, 2 acknowledged that when he said, you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you ask God with wrong motives. And so I want to make sure my motives are pure when I'm asking God to give me what I need for today. So it's just a very pragmatic prayer, asking God to take care of your needs for today. The next section I pray every day is forgive us our debts as we forgive uh, our debtors. And so again, this is a pray. I have not prayed this one. I've only prayed part of this for a long time. I ask God to forgive me. And there's no one in my life right now that I'm harboring unforgiveness against. So I haven't prayed that prayer lately, but there was a time when I prayed that a lot. So I realize theologically that through the blood of Jesus, I'm forgiven. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I know that when I come to God and ask Him to forgive me, I know I'm already forgiven. But I have to ask Him to forgive me to restore and reconcile my relationship with Him, to acknowledge my sin, say, God, I'm so sorry for my sin, and to reconcile that relationship that He has already forgiven me for my wrongdoings. But I come to God to acknowledge those things. And that's when I hear for asking God for forgiveness, that's what I do. And if you're harboring forgiveness about any with anyone in your life, I highly encourage you to pray Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 37. When you read that, Jesus gives you a recipe. And basically that recipe to unforgiveness is praying for those people that you're harboring unforgiveness towards. Forgive those who have hurt you until you really, really have. Fake it till you make it. I mean, pray and confess your sins to others. Acknowledge that you're holding a bitter, you have bitterness, and ask God to forgive you for your bitterness towards another person. And then pray and pray and pray for that person until you actually forgive them. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 37. 26 to 37 is a great reference for you. Finally, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So this is really interesting. Does God tempt us to do evil? Well, no, James 1, chapter 1, verses 13 to 15 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, in its full grown, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So God will never tempt you to do evil. Now you may say, well, what about Jesus in the wilderness? 
Well, you know, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So now you may say, well, that sounds like a contradiction. Well, it's not. God will never tempt us to sin. He will test our faith. So Jesus in Matthew 4 went to the wilderness to be tested, to be tested. The problem with us as men is our testing is often a tempting. But 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that God, that no temptation has caused you except for that was common to man. And God is faithful for when you're tempted, God will provide a way to have you to escape out from under it. So we have this dilemma. So, okay, so what is he saying here? He's saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us to eat from evil. So when I pray this prayer, I interpret it this way. God, when I am tempted or when I am tested by you, whether I am tested by you or tempted by evil, God, would you provide a way for me to escape out from under it? Because God, I know you will never tempt me to do evil, but I do know, God, because you are a loving Father, you will test me. You will test me. You will try me. You will put my faith in the fire to refine me. And so this is what we're talking about here. And the last thing I love to pray, this, if you look in your Bible, it's in parentheses. Some people think it came along a little later. Uh, it's been included parenthetically, but I love to pray this. I think this is an exclamation mark on my prayer time, which is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Remember, God's kingdom is his rule and reign. It's God's rule and reign. So I pray, God, here's what I pray when I pray this prayer. I pray, God, I want to be a man who is not a denominational man, who is not a religious man, who is not a legalistic man. God, I want to be a kingdom man for you. I want to be a man who partners with all denominations to bring your kingdom down. So God, because, because I want to be a kingdom man, God, will you put us on display? We want to be on display for you. We want to build your kingdom. Put us on display. And because we want to be on display, God, will you give us your power? Empower us to build your kingdom. And God, we promise that we will glorify you forever and ever. Amen. And I'll tell you what, there are so many legalistic people out there, so many denominational people out there, so many divisive people out there. We need to have men out there who are kingdom-oriented guys who want to serve God with all their heart and all their passion and finally giving glory to the God who made them. So guys, I hope this helps you. I kind of rambled through that outline pretty fast, but hopefully that gives you an outline to pray effective prayers, uh, either praying Psalm 4610, praying uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, or whatever else you pray, guys. May God speak to you clearly. May you hear, and may God bless you. Make sure, you guys, you head on over to our website, menandarena.org. Grab your free copy of my book. Tell them what great fathers tell their sons and daughters. And while you're there, sign up to transition from an engaged follower, which is what you're doing right now. Thank you to become an active, committed participant by clicking that Join Our Program button, getting involved in one of our many Zoom small groups that happen all over the country. Until next time, feel the wet sound on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game, get dirty, grind it out, and be a man. Equipping men in 10 from Men in the Arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us with thousands of men from around the world in one of our Men in the Arena forums. Join the forums on either Facebook or on the website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. Thank you for listening to this episode of Equipping Men in 10 from Men in the Arena. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. 
What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.